You are listening to the San Antonio Zen Center Dharma Talks. The San Antonio Zen Center is supported solely by donation, so that everyone can participate in our offerings and programs, regardless of income. If you are able, please consider making a donation to SAZC through the donation button on our site, sanantoniozen.org, or by visiting paypal.me slash sanantoniozen. Thank you for your practice and enjoy the talk. I want to thank everybody for being here. Me too. I want to thank me for being here. Thank you for asking me to talk. Um, And everyone for their kind attention uh, to their practice. Uh, I, I have some idea of what this is about, this talk. I think I do. Um, something happened this morning. I woke up around 2 and I was able to go back to sleep and not worry about it. So that was kind of cool. People will ask me about bowing when I do Zazen instruction. What are we bowing to? And what's that about? And uh, so I, um, I got out uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and there's actually a section on bowing. And um, this is not the answer that I give people. <laughs> I give the answer that we just bow. We're not bowing to anything or anything. But um, Shinryu, uh, Suzuki Roshi says something a little bit different. Um, by, by bowing, we are giving up ourselves. To give up ourselves means to give up dualistic ideas. There is no difference between Zazen and bowing. So, um, logically speaking, there's no difference between giving up dualistic ideas, giving up ourselves, and practicing Zazen. This is what I'm getting from that. It was very helpful for me to to read this. When you forget all your dualistic ideas, everything becomes your teacher and everything can be the object of worship. When everything exists within your mind, all dualistic relationships drop away. There is no distinction between heaven and earth, man and woman. So, there's another thing in here. Let me see if I can find it. That gets to what began to come out as I considered doing this. Oh, 
It is our inmost desire to get rid of our self-centered ideas. And I think that's the same as dualistic thinking. This would, um, you know. uh, we have to do it. When we make this effort, our inmost desire is appeased and nirvana is there. Your effort appeases your inmost desire. And then there's, after you practice for a while, you will realize that it is not possible to make rapid, extraordinary progress. Even though you try very hard, the progress you make is always little by little. It is not going out in a shower in which you know you when you get wet. So it's not going out into a downpour. <clears throat> it is like going out, <clears throat> it is like walking in a fog. In a fog, you do not know you're getting wet. In a downpour, it's pretty obvious. And then, and he doesn't write this, <laughs> and, and then uh, uh, my dualistic ideas can dry me off. But if I'm walking in the fog and I'm not noticing it, it's a little bit like boiling a frog. Y'all know that story. You know, little by little, gradually, and then I begin to notice things, and some things begin to make sense. Like um, stuff that I read in, it's in my beginner's mind. It's like I'm reading it for the first time. So, um, so in a fog, you do not know you're getting wet. But as you keep walking, you get wet little by little. If your mind has ideas of progress, you may say, oh, this pace is terrible. But actually, it is not. When you get wet in a fog, it is very difficult to dry yourself. So if we don't notice, um, it's difficult. It's almost like we can trick ourselves into, just by practicing, we can open up to our inmost desire, which we maybe sometimes aren't even aware of, if that makes any sense. We can say either that we make progress little by little, or that we do not even expect to make progress, just be sincere and make our full effort in each moment is enough. There is no nirvana outside of practice. Um, so somewhere else in here says that, uh, you know, practice and nirvana are the same thing, and yet it's so difficult to practice. Um, and so we practice practicing. So the other thing uh, that occurred to me is um, uh, this kind of dovetailed in with some other stuff that I read. Uh, and it has to do with this um, inmost desire and how it doesn't have much to do with who I think I am. Um, 
I love this quote by uh, Koto Sawaki, uh, precisely the person I haven't thought up is who I really am. And that's a, kind of a, like a koan that um, comes around in the back of my mind. And a little difficult to recognize. Um, but I think that this, this speaks to it for me. It's um, a paragraph I found in an obscure tricycle magazine from 1993 or something. I was doing a collage with a client and I found this. Habit has two parts. There is the habit itself, finger biting, smoking, drinking, thinking. And there is the observer who wants to stop, who is also a habit. And there is the conflict, the battle between the desire to indulge, which is an escape from what is, and the desire to stop, which is also a movement away from what is. So what's suggested is that the only real solution lies in complete awareness. In such awareness, there is no chooser who is doing the habitual behavior or the stopping. There is no program, no will, no intention, no judgment, no conflict, no separation from the problem, no self to be improved or fixed, no direction. It is open, relaxed, seeing. There's no self. Maybe this is what the Buddha was talking about when he taught no self. That this continual letting go. Um, And um, recognizing what isn't me. So, and uh, of course, if I try to repress what I discover, then that's the habit of trying to fix self. So this um, self that we kind of have because we're humans, um, this idea of self, uh, it comes about because we're humans. This is my take on it. And it has to do with something uh, that uh, neuroscientists are calling the default network, in my opinion. And the default network comes online when our mind's not otherwise occupied and creates a sense of self. And that sense of self worries about what's going to happen to that self in the future and what happened to that self in the past. And then this kind of comes together and creates suffering. So, um, see, there was a point there. So that self is the self I have thought up. And it's kind of like what people call moving around an automatic pilot. And as some estimates say that we go around an automatic pilot about 70% of the time, that seems low to me. So, um, automatic pilot. There's a little story. I was talking to a client. He said, I could, I could tell you this story. He gave me permission. He's an airline pilot. 
And once they get up to cruising speed, they go on automatic pilot. So they got up to cruising speed on this particular day. He puts it on automatic pilot and the plane starts to go back to where they came from. <laughs> so for a while, he tries to fix the automatic pilot. And he struggles with that for a while and then he goes, oh, there's controls here. I can fly a plane. <laughs> and we both, you know, he's telling me the story and I, we both burst into laughter. It's like, oh, what a great metaphor, right? Bringing mindfulness to it, we can go forward. And maybe we end up where our inmost desire has us or pulls us toward. So the, uh, the practice in my experience, um, uh, is, uh, allows that to happen when, um, Suzuki Roshi says, um, I don't think I read this before. If you do not have this firm conviction of big mind in your practice, your bow, your bow will be dualistic when you are just yourself, your bow to yourself in its true sense. You bow to yourself in its true sense and you are one with everything. You are Buddha. Yeah. That's not in there, but I'm saying that. And um, <clears throat> so this almost sounds like there's a part of us that has this firm conviction and is trying to have this firm conviction. But I think that that would just be another habit of mind. And I, so my take on this is that uh, Suzuki Roshi is describing something that happens as we practice rather than something we try to do. Does that make sense? You know, see the difference I'm talking about? So we've been at it for a little while, and um, I have another poem. Heisenberg, have you all heard this poem? It's, I think it's a, a, a good thing to end on. Heisenberg, we interfere with what we know by knowing it. We interfere with what we do by doing it. We interfere with what we love by loving it. I guess you could say we're the cause of our own loneliness. We interfere with what we watch by watching it. We interfere with what we write by writing it. We interfere with what we think by thinking it. We interfere where we go by going there. We are like Midas or Medusa. We interfere with life by living it. In fact, one definition of perfection is simply the way things are when we are not around. 
or might have been if I hadn't said so. One question, though, is all this actually true? We interfere with what we ask by asking it. If there is a God, we will surely ruin him by believing in him. And yet, we must exist, correct? Don't answer that. You who remain you only by your absence. And I think that this kind of gets to um, the, the gist of this talk. So... One other thing I'll say. I've been getting older. Yes. You don't say that. Big surprise. (laughs) And um, I've been struggling a little bit with it. Like, who is this? Old fart. (laughs) So this week I had a dream. And in the dream... There's this older guy, and he looks just like me. And I go over to him, and I'm like, hey, you and I look a lot alike, but you're much older. And you know who it was? Me. So I think that this is kind of the way that practice works for me, too, is that I notice, discover these things. Anyway, so um, thank you very much for listening. We, we, we can talk a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have time. Questions, comments? No criticisms, no worrying criticisms. Yes, sir. <laughs>